Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. Let me just start also by today by saying, do yourself a favor and don't turn on the news. How many of you are sick of the news already? Okay, so 90% of us, I, I think I saw two people that didn't raise their hand, 90% of us here are sick of the news, right? 90% of us are sick of the news, so stop turning it on. I mean, let me just ask you this. If you bite into an apple and you bite into a bad spot, do you keep on chewing on that bad spot of the apple, the rotten spot? Maybe it has a worm in it and you're chewing on the worm. No, no, it's not tequila. You're not supposed to swallow the worm. You spit it out. Come on, it's gross. It's nasty. Spit that thing out. So why do we keep on doing that when it comes to things like watching TV? Where we keep on going to that nastiness that we know is going to be there. Or maybe we have that friend on Facebook that all they ever do is post things that we're, we get upset with. Listen, there's a little trick, and I'm going to teach it to you guys all right now. You hit unfollow. And it doesn't mean that you are no longer friends with them on Facebook. It means you won't see them on your feed anymore. When Christ tells us to focus on the things above, he literally is telling us to focus on the heavenly things that encourage us to grow in Christ. And that's what I want to encourage everybody here right now, is to focus on the things above, seated at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. Turn it off if it offers you nothing. Turn it off if it doesn't grow you in Christ. Turn it off if it makes you suffer on the inside and it kills the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Why? Because as we're going to look at today, we live for something greater and higher than what the world can offer us in the here and now. We have a greater call than the call of this world. Amen? We're told by Jesus not to settle for the things of this world where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Why? Because, as I love the song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So church, don't get discouraged by the world. Don't let people bring you down. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, we are inheritors of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? So though this world is falling apart, though there's, you know, hurricane after hurricane being tossed at us from Africa, even though we have Sahara dust just coming and peppering us where our allergies are so horrible, even though we turn on the TV and it seems like our world and our society and everything around us is blowing up, 
We don't have to live in fear as followers of Jesus Christ. Because though this kingdom of the United States can be shaken, the entire world can be shaken. Wow, that was words from above. You see that? We serve a kingdom. Say it with me. That cannot be shaken. Amen. So church, let us live as people that serve that kingdom. Amen? If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And in this, Jesus is talking about that kingdom that we long for. Amen? Do you long for that kingdom? Do you long for the kingdom that Isaiah talks about that the, the child will be able to reach their hand into the, into the adder's den, into the, the snake, the venomous snake's den, pull it out and start playing with that snake without fear of being bitten or death? Where Isaiah says that the ox and the, and the lion will be able to graze together, where it says that the wolf and the lamb will be able to lie together. Do you long for that time where there's just peace amongst creation? Because I do. And as we long for that, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 starts to teach his disciples what that kingdom will be like and what to look for in that kingdom and how we as believers and as followers of Jesus should begin to live because we are representatives, as I said, not of a political party, not of the state of Florida or of the United States, we are representatives of His kingdom. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. This is a big one, isn't it? And today we're going to break this down into edible chunks so we can see exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because it doesn't contradict Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, where it says that we are inheritors of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's break this down. What is righteousness? Because this is talking about kingdom living is righteousness here. What is righteousness? Well, if you break it down into its simplest terms, the original language, uh, diakusuni, it, it is integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correct thinking and feeling, and acting as God sees right. That's the biblical definition. When, 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 a, when Jesus is talking about righteousness, he's basically telling the people not to live as men see right, but as God sees right. Live like God sees things are right. Not how the world and people and your flesh sees right, but what God deems right. You see, Jesus talking to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to men familiar with acts of righteousness. These men had seen the holy men of their day pound their chests 
have their head coverings. They had awesome tassels that reached down to the ground, prayer cords wrapped around their arms so people could see that they were warriors of prayer. But as Jesus would point out, they neglect the simple things like loving your neighbor, like honoring your father and your mother, like helping the poor and the needy and the oppressed by helping the orphan and the widow. Jesus is saying, those are the simple things. Those are the simple things and they don't do them. And he's saying, and here they're trying to pile on hard things that make no sense. This is a self-made righteousness. And Jesus is saying, this isn't the righteousness that I want for you, my disciples. I don't want you to have prayer cords so people see that you're a prayer warrior. I want you to have blistered knees and holes in your carpet from the spot that you go down and you battle the devil every single day inside of your closet. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, go into your prayer closet and pray to me in secret. That's the type of prayer I want. He says, I don't want you to have a little phylactery on your forehead where it says, hey, this is the Bible verses that I'm memorizing and living by. He said, no, I want you to live by love God and love people. That's what I want you to live by. That's taking to, to heart all of the law rather than just a simple scroll that you put and tied to your forehead. Jesus is saying, this is the type of of righteousness that I want my disciples to live by and grab a hold of. And he only makes it possible because he has already made us righteous in God's eyes. Righteousness is not seen in acts, but is the unseen intentions of a person's heart. Let's just put it this way. Was King David a righteous man? Yeah? I think we can all say yes, because Scripture says that King David was a man after God's own what? Heart. King David was a man after God's own heart. But can we say that every action that David had was a good action? No. He caused the nation of Israel hardship and suffering. Why? Because he got a prideful ego and said, I'm going to count my people even though God said not to. And so the nation of Israel suffered loss. Was, was King David always thinking of the right thing and always doing the right thing? No, we can say he wasn't. Why? Because what did he do when he saw a woman bathing on a roof? Did he say, hey, i got to avert those eyes? No. What did he do? He took it all in, and then he started to create a sin plan within his mind. And he said, you know what? I could do this. I could send her, her husband off to war. I could do all these different things. And I can have her of my own. And then he took her, and he lay with her. And when he found out she was pregnant, he had his best friend, one of his best friends killed. One of his mighty men, Uriah. One of his 300 loyal men, when, when he wanted a drink from the well in Jerusalem, one of the men that said, let's take it up this task, 
and let's go fight our way into the Philistine army and let's come back with some drink for our king. That's the man he betrayed. He had him killed. But we all would say that King David was a righteous man. Why? Because Scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. Meaning, his heart and God's heart were one. They were aimed and brought together through love. He loved God more than anything. Even though his actions weren't always right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Turn there real quick with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Do not do things to be noticed by people. That's what he's saying. Don't do it for a pat on the back. Don't do it for merits. Do it because you have a heart aimed towards God. Do it because you're living out the law that Jesus has placed inside of us. The law of love Him and love people. That's, that's the beauty of what we have in Jesus Christ. In verse 20, he says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees' righteousness was Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It was to be seen by men. In fact, as we continue on in chapter 6, and we're going to do that later on in this series as we keep on going in the Sermon on the Mount. In, in chapter 6, verse 2, it says that they give to charity in order to be seen. They start, as they're giving money to the temple, in fact, it, it said that they would clank it in. As, as you read in the widow's might, it says that the widow, her money made no sound. She placed it in there in such a way it made no sound, but not only that, it was so thin that it made no sound, but it said that the men, as they came and started giving their money, they were jingling it so it could make a sound, then they would drop each coin one by one so it made a sound as it went in, so people would look and say, wow, that man loves the temple. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says that they stand on the street corners and pray their prayers out loud with many words so people can hear them. So the prayer isn't really to God. It's so people hear how eloquent they can pray. It's not to go to war for something. It's not to beseech the God above to actually intervene. It's so it can be seen and heard. It says when they fast, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, it says when they fast, they, they don't keep themselves looking nice. They don't present themselves as if they're just going through the day. It says that they start to 
make themselves look all depressed and down. And so somebody comes up to them and says, how are you doing today? What's wrong? What's, why the long face? They could say, oh, I'm hungry because I'm fasting. And Jesus says, hey, look, you have your reward in full. You know why? Because people are looking at you and they're saying, man, that guy is holy. He prays so well. He fasts. Oh, man, I, I heard how much money he gave to the church. Man, that guy's great. But he's saying, hey, look, you're seeking approval of people. When you've already been approved by the I am, instead of seeking approval of people, start living for the I am. And the actions of love will flow. Jesus wants His followers to have a righteousness that starts from the inside and expands out. That's the life that He wants for His disciples. He wants His disciples to have a righteousness that doesn't come from themselves, that isn't just outward, that comes from God alone, that is based on the righteousness that Jesus has given you and called you justified. That's what he's trying to teach his disciples here. And that's why he says, hey, look, unless your righteousness surpasses the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, then you won't have that grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So why does Jesus say righteousness has to exceed the scribes and Pharisees? Well, jump over to Matthew chapter 23, and I think Jesus just gives us a great definition of what he's thinking about when he's thinking about the righteousness of a Pharisee. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 to 33. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men. So what is Jesus saying when he talks about the righteousness of a Pharisee and a scribe? He's talking about outside righteousness. He's not talking about the heart. And you see, Jesus was all about the heart. He's all about the inward man and correcting the inward man, making the inward man righteous. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape a sentence of hell? He called them hypocrites, snakes, evil, empty of compassion and love. And he ends by saying, how will you be saved from hell when your righteousness is just a show? They refused to accept Jesus Christ and His covering of justification of righteousness. 
Listen to what Paul says, who was a Pharisee, because I think we get the full picture of what it means to be a Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he's saying, I don't put any confidence in the outward things. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And then he lists why. He says, look, if anybody could say that they did it all, I could say I did it all to perfection. Now he lists why. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin was the last son of uh, Rebekah and of Jacob, um, or Israel, excuse me, who he was later named Israel. And it was his favorite wife, okay? So he's saying, hey, look, I'm not just from Reuben. I'm not from Levi. I'm not from the, any of those tribes. I'm from the loved tribe, okay? I'm from Benjamin. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Hey, look, I was, I was taught, I was raised to speak Hebrew, to act like a Hebrew child, to be a Hebrew child. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, as to wanting to do everything for the Lord, he says, listen to this, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I Count those as nothing. Anything I could do for myself in the flesh, on the outward, where people could see it, are nothing. This is a Pharisee. And he's saying anything a Pharisee could do for themselves was nothing. Paul was an, a law-abiding Pharisee, and he says, that's rubbish. Listen, he said, I was righteous according to the law. Oh, but you know what? That righteousness, it wasn't righteousness to God. Why? Because in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. None love God, for all seek for themselves. All have turned aside together and all have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Paul being a Pharisee is saying this, even though he could say in the same breath, I'm blameless when it came to the law. Why is he saying that? He had put it together that if you are acting out things, if you think you can deserve heaven, then what you're doing is you're just pounding your own chest and looking at what have I accomplished? God, you know what? It's a gift for you to know me. When he's saying really the gift is Jesus Christ. I count anything I could do of the flesh as rubbish, as garbage, as nothing. 
Paul didn't say that because Christ said that. Paul said that because he knew the Scripture. And Isaiah 64, 6 says that. Isaiah 64, 6, it says this. For all of us has become like one who is unclean. Untouchable. Don't go near it. If you touch it, you're unholy and you have to do ceremonies to wash yourself. That's what that's saying. And all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf. And all our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Isaiah takes what Paul says of being unrighteous so much further. Because he says anything that we think that we can offer God is, hey God, look how great I am. Look what I did for you. It's so great that you know me. I have earned salvation. You know what he says? It is like a filthy rag. Okay, so a really horrible definition of what this is in Hebrew. Okay? When he says a filthy rag, it's an untouchable, unclean rag. It was a, a filthy garment that had been used during the woman's time of the month. It would be seen as, it, it, during that time, the woman was not allowed to go and participate in certain things of the ceremonies and stuff like that because that was a, a time that they were considered unclean. And he's saying, hey, guess what? Your righteousness, the things that you think that you're doing and is great and you give to God, it's like the filthy garment during the time of the month. That's terrible. And Isaiah is saying, hey, look, that's what our righteousness is like. Why? Because you know what? God doesn't want our outward righteousness. He wants our inward heart. And when we give this to Him, that's when He starts to work from the inside outward and our things start to make sense because we start to love God properly and we start to love people in the focus that God loves people. Amen? The Pharisees missed that what God wanted above everything else was not them to be completely obedient to the law and have perfect, clean rituals and things like that. He wanted them to live out the law of love. And that's what Jesus is getting to the heart of. Romans chapter 14, he says in verse 13 on, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it is unclean. He's saying, hey look, you know what? If your conscience tells you that you have to live this certain way and that it's, it's, if I eat pork that I'm unclean or, or anything, he's like, then that's fine. That's between you and God. And I'm not going to make you stumble. Verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. He's like, hey, look, if you feel like your brother, if Vince says, hey, pastor, I don't eat pork. Now, I'm using Vince as an, an example because I know Vince is Cuban. He's like, hey, man, pork is a staple of life. He, it's sacrilege, exactly. It would be like Paul saying, hey, look, if I don't preach the gospel, I am denying a piece of myself. That is, that is Vince right here. I could say that I love Vince. We're, you know, we are, you can do that. But 
It would be like Vince saying, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer eating pork because I just feel that if I'm doing that, I'm going against God. But then I sit at his table, okay, he invites me over, and I bring an entire, you know, chicharron, you know, and I'm just eating it there in front of him. <laughs> you want some chicharrones? And he's like, hey, man, I just said I'm not doing that, and you're sinning in my presence. I'm making him stumble. That's what Paul's saying here. He's like, hey, man, where's the love in that? You're not loving Vince. You're not loving Vince by doing that. Do not destroy with your food him whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Now, because... I sat down and I was eating that chicharrone in front of Vince. He's going to go around and he's going to go to Henry. He's going to be like, hey, you know what? I, Cody was eating pork. And it becomes a big thing. That's what it's talking about here. I'm using pork as an example a lot, by the way. I don't know why. I don't even eat pork just because of, you know, health reasons. Nothing, you know, I'm not doing it for any other reason but that. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. He's saying, hey look, you know what people should look and see? And when they see you, and you eat, and you drink, and you interact, they should see your heart being lived for the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? Paul says the kingdom of God is not found in eating or drinking, or rituals, or meanings of law, or in trying to define the law, and live by the law, or anything that has to do with any of that. It's found in the righteous lifestyle of those who are serving God in love. Love is the lifestyle, not a duty. Amen? In a relationship, love is served every single day, isn't it? Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you love someone? You love them every single day? Even when you really, you know what, they're not treating you lovely, you still love them? Isn't that love? Is love just on the anniversary and on Valentine's Day? No. If you only love someone on anniversary and on Valentine's Day, then you're doing a Pharisee, a Pharisee type of love. A love that says you have to love on Valentine's Day and on your anniversary. And that's how the Pharisees were acting. Love wasn't sinking into their heart. Because love is a life. And Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, and let's keep on. For I say to you that unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So we know that the, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees was outside. And Jesus is talking about, hey, let's, let's hit this on the inside. So we've already talked about that. 
you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard part that we got to get to, the root of today. Unless your righteousness goes past fakeness, not a checklist of duties, but a lifestyle of love. They were the whitewashed tombs inside their dead. Why is Jesus saying that? You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. Take a look at verses 8 and 9. He says, More than that, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Jesus, Paul's saying, hey, look, I don't want the righteousness of a Pharisee. I want the righteousness that only comes through Jesus and knowing Jesus. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, say it with me, faith. Amen. Jesus makes us righteous. And living a life of, of love for Him and in Him, that's His standard of righteous living. When Jesus says, hey look, let your righteousness surpass the Pharisees, He's saying, live in love with Me and in, in love for others. When you live out love, when your heart is filled with love of, for God and a life that's lived of love for your fellow man, you are living the righteous life in Christ. And it surpasses that of the Pharisee and the scribe. But what did Jesus mean you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless this is done? To some people they teach that this means that it, you will not go to heaven unless you have righteous acts. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Is Jesus speaking to unbelievers here? That's what we have to ask ourselves first. Is Jesus speaking to unbelievers? No. According to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he's speaking to his disciples. So is he trying to lead them to Christ? No. Is he trying to give them the, the message of salvation? No. Whenever Jesus would give the message of salvation, he would say, believe. John 6, 47, believe. Truly, I truly say, he who believes has eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, whoever believes has eternal life. So when Jesus is giving the gospel, he is saying, believe. So what is he talking about here? He is talking about a walk in him. He's not talking about earning salvation because salvation is free. Amen? Praise God it's free. He's addressing his disciples and they've already believed in him. So what is he trying to get to when he says you will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, we see similar talk by one of his disciples, and I think Paul, uh, Peter gives it the perfect definition for us. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Here, 
Peter defines what it means to enter into the kingdom. Peter says we should live our purpose so we get a grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 1. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, 10, 11. Therefore, brethren, who's Peter talking to? Real quick. Brethren. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Let me ask you this. When, when somebody is successful in what they set out to accomplish, what do we do? What do we usually do? When somebody says, hey, you know what? I'm going to go get a master's. Okay? And then they graduate. What do we usually do at the end of it? We celebrate it, right? We do a party. When the soldiers came back victorious in World War II, what took place on the streets of New York? We have pictures of it to this day of the, of the, of the sailor coming up to the woman and he's kissing her, right? We celebrated them. They got a victory parade. Sadly, did we do the same thing when the Vietnam vets came back? No. Why? Because it wasn't victorious. When the Miami Heat, let's take it more recently, when the Miami Heat won their back-to-back championship, they won in 2012, and then they won in 2013, we were all on the streets of Cali Ocho banging our pots and pans and getting all crazy, and when they came, they did a victory parade, right? And they were shooting off water guns, and we just celebrated them. Why? Because they were victorious in what they set out to accomplish. We celebrated their accomplishments. But did we celebrate 2014 when they lost to the Spurs? Nope. Nope. We don't talk about that. In 2001, when the Hurricanes won the national title, we celebrated them. In 2002, when they were going up against Ohio, and they, you know, got that fake penalty, that ghost penalty, right? And everybody is still mad to this very day. But we didn't celebrate them, did we? Even though we said, hey, no, they're really the national champs because it was a fake call. But we didn't celebrate them. If we really felt they were the national champs, we would have celebrated them. You see, brothers and sisters, when somebody does something of accomplishment, what do we do? We give them a grand entrance. And that's what 2 Peter chapter 1 is talking about. And that's what Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 is talking about. It's talking about a grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Do you want a grand entrance when you enter into the kingdom? Listen, Jesus was celebrated as he entered into Jerusalem. Why? Because they said, he is the Messiah come to free us from Rome. And here... Jesus is underlying how you and I as his followers can be celebrated in our entrance to the kingdom. 
Enter triumphant, having accomplished successfully what he has called you to do. That's what Peter says. Peter says, hey, look, accomplish your calling. Jesus has chosen you to serve him. So accomplish that. So you get a triumphant entry into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you want an entrance? Oh, man, you want an entrance into the kingdom? Then let your love surpass that of the Pharisees. You see, we get mixed up when we see entrance because we think of entrance as in literally I'm entering in, I enter the door, I enter into heaven. I en no, but when Jesus is talking about entrance, it's talking about a grand entrance. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and his courts with praise. He was talking about a grand entrance. Not just a regular entrance. Man, I loved watching Seinfeld. How many of you guys were Seinfeld friends, uh, fans here? I love Seinfeld. You're all heathens. Stop watching Seinfeld. You shouldn't be doing that. No, I'm joking. But one of my favorite characters was Kramer. Why? Because Kramer always had a grand entrance. Right? That's how he came in. He had an entrance that was memorable. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, I want you to have an entrance that's memorable in my kingdom. I want you to have a memorable entrance, an abundant entrance, a glorious entrance. Friends, in saying live righteous, Jesus was calling his people to live by his standard of love, not religion. You love greatly, then you'll enter greatly. That's what he is talking about. He was calling all that would follow him to live triumphantly so you have a triumphal entrance, a glorious entrance. You're already getting in. That's worth celebrating. So live a life of celebration. Matthew chapter 25. I want to end on this. Matthew chapter 25. Zero in on verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You, will f you were faithful with a few things. I will, I will put you in charge of many things. Now enter into the joy of your master. Enter successful. Friends, live in such a way that when you enter, when you enter heaven, when you enter his kingdom, whichever it might be, some of us, we're going to, Man, we're going to see God very soon. Hopefully he returns tomorrow or this afternoon. We got a lunch date and it's with him. But however you enter, enter into the joy of your master. You know, in the story of the Talons, all three were believers. When we were looking at that, all three were believers, except one was called wicked for not doing what they should have. 
Enter with joy. Enter with thanksgiving. Enter with praise. If in you is the love of Christ, amen? How do we know that? Because God loved you so much, He sent His Son. So you have the love of Christ in you. If you have the love of Christ in you, then live it out. Amen? So when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus, He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's better than anything the news can give you. That's better than anything CNN can put on. That's better than any convention that can be watched on TV. That's better than anything that we can see on Facebook today. That's better than any tweet that might be out there. That's better than anybody can give you. Because that's the truth of love that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Brothers and sisters, let's enter in to His kingdom with shouts of joy for living. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.